Call of Cthulhu, Edge of Madness, is a Call of Cthulhu 7th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat with me, Dale, as the Keeper of Arcane Lore. Please be advised, Call of Cthulhu is a dark game of cosmic horror. You'll hear descriptions of gore, depravity, helplessness, coercion, and other serious themes. This is not D&D. This is a game where we stare into the abyss and confront things that stare back. Welcome back, everyone. This is session two of our Call of Cthulhu Edge of Madness campaign. Tonight's episode is entitled The Haunting of Corbett House. And if last time was but the tutorial, tonight is when the gloves come off. We'll be facing death. We'll be facing insanity. So, please... Be prepared, play smart, and hope that you make it through to the other side. It is currently July of the year 1923. The air is getting a little cooler. The streets of Boston are starting to get a little less busy people shutting up their homes and businesses a little bit earlier as summer ends and the temperatures begin to drop signaling fall just around the corner the night falls heavier than it did just two months ago when you all experienced harrowing near death at the hands of the monster sealed in the cellar of Arthur Blackwood's holiday cabin in upstate New York. And since then, although your lives have returned to some semblance of normality every night as you go to sleep you're haunted by nightmares of what you faced in that cellar 
haunted by the knowledge that you came ever so close to death and just barely managed to escape, and worst of all, haunted by the certainty that there are things beyond mortal ken in the world, things that man was not meant to know or comprehend, and now they are aware of your existence. But you are aware of them, and for the most part, knowing is half the battle. You know what lies out there in the world, and you've been doing your best over these last two months to prepare yourself for the eventuality that you may face these things again. For you have become members of Dr. Eugene Earle's Paranormal Society. A secret club, as it were, that meets every fortnight in an old second-hand bookstore off the main street of Boston's downtown. Sandor's second-hand bookstore. It's here that every fortnight you discuss matters that are not for normal ears. The existence of things that people could not imagine in their wildest nightmares. The conspiracies that threaten to destroy humanity. The unknowable entities that await sleeping or biding their time on the periphery of human knowledge. And how humanity, with the paranormal club acting as humanity's foremost offenders, can somehow delay the inevitable, that inevitable day when the denizens of the Cthulhu mythos rise and gorge on humanity. So, tonight begins as, today, well, today begins as a relatively normal day. You've been called for your fortnightly meeting with the Paranormal Club in Sandor's second-hand bookstore. And you don't expect it to be anything other than discussing strange newspaper articles you've found, debating the existence of various cryptids, or once again recounting in avid detail the events of that fateful night two months ago to try to process it in a rational way. You all meet in front of the bookstore and push through the little glass door that serves as the entrance. A bell rings and the owner of the bookstore, Sandor Tanner, an old man in his mid-sixties, hunched over with long, wiry, silver hair, hobbles up to you with his ivory cane in his right hand, tapping on the wooden floorboards, and he gestures for you to follow him into the store. The second-hand bookstore is cluttered, dusty, and in poor repair. Unsorted books are stacked in precarious piles throughout the shop. Sagging shelves line the worn hardwood floor, waiting to accept their new burdens. And there, at the back of the store, at an old desk, Dr. Eugene Earle is hunched over a map of Boston, down where possible leads might take you. 
He's circled various points of the city with red marker and is muttering under his breath. A Sandor Tanner leads you all into the room and loudly taps his cane on the wooden floor to signal your arrival. Standing next to Dr. Eugene Earl is someone you've not seen before. For the last two months, all the previous meetings of the Paranormal Club, it's only been three of you. Chambers, Trixie, and Angel. Howie, the boxer, good and true to his word, declined Eugene's offer to join the club. And after that, he essentially dropped entirely off the radar. Any attempt you've made to contact him has failed to yield any results, and for the most part, it seems as if he's just put his experience in the Blackwoods cabin behind him and returned to a peaceful life, or at least you hope. I've, uh, I've brought someone in from uh, the main chapter up at Miskatonic, says Eugene Earl. Looks like we've got a real bona fide investigation today, and well, I thought I should grab someone who uh, can help, rather than sending the three of you fresh out of the frying pan into another life or death situation. He gestures to the person next to him, and he says, if you'd like to introduce myself, introduce yourself, my good friend. Go ahead, Alt. Uh, name's Buck Mayfield. This is... I'm, uh, trying to find some, uh, missing folks from, uh, down in my town. Nobody else has put up their hand to go find him. So, uh, I'm stuck here. <laughs> Pleasure Jane. to meet you. Yep. My name's Angel. Angel throws out her hand jovially. Uh, Buck extends his hand, uh, very cordially. It's a pleasure to meet you, miss. <laughs> How would you feel about joining a church? Uh, he quickly retracts his hand and says, <laughs> uh, I'll consider it. You get the idea... You get the idea of each other almost immediately. Angel, you see that Buck is... For the most part, a straight-laced, no-nonsense guy is wearing the get-up of a county sheriff, complete with wide-brimmed hat and a hunting shotgun slung over his right shoulder. His belt is lined with spare shells for it, looking like he's ready for action at a moment's notice. And, Buck, you take a look at Angel and... You see the bizarre assortment of strange jewellery around her, uh, around her ankles, the, around her um, wrists and ankles, and occult talismans around her neck, and strange runes sewn into the hem of her dress, and you remember what Eugene Earle told you when he was writing to you about his group. He mentioned that one of the members of his group was 
a relative of the accursed Blackwood family, and despite her eccentricities, had proven useful in the events that unfolded two months ago. This must be Angel. Trixie, Chambers, what do you have to say to the new arrival? Yeah, you get used to, to her. Uh, Chambers extends for his hand for a firm handshake. Yeah, Buck extends his hand and gives him a good firm grip. Chambers, right? I've got to check. Yep, well, you already know my name. <laughs> uh, sure, sure, sure do. Eugene well, Earl. Like the a shot, eh? <laughs> yeah, it looks like he's ready to take a lot of shots. Fellow few, sorry if I'm very social. I'm doing a bit of research to see what our next adventure might entail. Make sure we don't die. All those kind of things. I imagine Angel's like taking out little trinkets and trying to put them on everyone. Yeah, trying to fit them over Trixie's hands and head as she talks. And Eugene Earl. <laughs> yes, keeping an eye on it. Just pushing pushing Angel away every time you see her edging closer. Eugene. Yeah, Sam, um, sorry. Yep. Sam, Buck looks them all up and down and says, Well, I'm glad we have somebody who's good with birds around here. <laughs> Eugene looks at Trixie with a flourish and he smiles and he says, Trixie happens to be a, a curator down at the Boston Museum. She's been pushing to have uh, their ex exhibitions there extended to feature the likes of the things we investigate. You know, cryptid, strange artifacts and the like. Her knowledge will prove invaluable. Oh, but I'm getting ahead of myself, as I usually do, he says. He says, everybody, Buck here is an old friend of mine. He's a sheriff of a small town down in New Mexico, and uh, he's come up here because he's been on the trail of uh, a missing family, a family by the name of Marcano. Now, they moved out of Buck's town some years ago, but a mutual friend between them and Buck is worried that they've disappeared. They've not been answering any correspondence for quite some time. And when Buck started asking questions, the trail brought him here to Boston. And it wasn't long before someone dropped my name and the name of the Paranormal Society. He met up with some of our people up at Miskatonic, and, uh, well, I invited him down here. As it just so happens, sheer coincidence, he's looking into the thing that we've been tasked with investigating. With that, he clears his throat, he folds up the map of Boston, reaches for a piece of paper underneath, and flattens it out on the table so you can all see what it is. It appears to be a Northern Union telegram. According to the date and time on it, it was received earlier this very day. It reads, Dear Sir or Madam, I'm writing to you. We're not the only one then. <laughs> yep, yep. That's okay. Uh, so, it, in, internet always causes... We're getting effects already. Yep, it always causes trouble at this time, the internet. <laughs> this is just me, two minutes starting and mine dropped out too. Like, kidding? 
says, Dear Sir or Madam, I'm writing to you to request your assistance in a matter of utmost importance. I am the owner of a property in central Boston known as the Corbett House. Unfortunately, I've been unable to rent it out because many local people believe that the house is haunted after tragic events befell my former tenants, the Marcano family. I am therefore looking for somebody to examine my property and dispel the rumours that surround it. You will be compensated generously for your services with a $25 advance to begin the investigation. If you are unfamiliar with the area, I suggest that a good starting point for your investigations would be to consult records at the Central Library, the Halls of Records and the offices of the Boston Globe. I would greatly appreciate your help in this matter. Thank you for your time. Sincerely, Stephen Knott. Eugene clears his throat and he says, As you can see, Mr. Stephen Knott has come into possession of a rather strange house, the Corbett House. Now, there's a lot of whisperings about the Corbett House, urban legends going back decades. The place is hopelessly haunted, and, well, anyone who's ever lived there has either met a bad end or disappeared completely. Now, Mr. Knott informed me that the police and the other detective agencies laughed him straight out of the door, leaving us, the paranormal club, as the only ones willing to hear him out. Now, I don't know if there's truth to any of these rumors, but I think this is right up our alley. Especially given what you folks experienced two months ago. He then turns to Buck, and he says, And of course, there's the link you're looking for. The Marcano family were the most recent residents of the Corbett house. Now, Mr. Knott claims he doesn't know what became of them after they move after they moved out they've gone completely AWOL but as your concern is trying to find them I feel you'd be best served working with me and my investigators and seeing where things take you what do you say for yourself uh, Buck uh, chews a little bit more tightly on his unlit cigarette, um, just like a bit of tobacco just spilling out the end, and um, mutters, No, I don't put much stock into all this uh, airy-fairy, hocus-pocus nonsense, but if it gets me closer to finding the family, boy, that'd, that'd really put a smile on some of the faces back home. <laughs> Eugene, ex <laughs> Eugene exchanges a glance with Angel, and then Chambers, and finally Trixie. And then he turns back to Buck and he says, Well, if telling yourself that's going to help set your mind at ease, then who am I to question it? But I have the feeling, Buck, that this investigation is going to open your eyes to things that you did not realize inhabited this world. Bucker squints a little bit and uh, tries very hard not to roll his eyes, obviously, um, but just nods uh, nods politely instead. Well, the ring and I pop it on Buck's head. <laughs> yeah, you just take the take one Tap of your various various strange pieces of jewelry and slide it over the top. Uh, from from my family. Yep, 
the ring from your. Are oh, you gonna t you're gonna you take the actual blackwood ring and? Yeah, I take the blackwood ring on my finger and attack him with it. <laughs> so, uh, but, but Angel but takes the um, partially yep. chewed cigarette out of his mouth and says, "Is she gonna be like this the whole time?" Eugene just rolls his eyes and says, I do believe it's something you get used to. Takes a while. Privacy is not such a thing within my church. <laughs> you, my friend. When you be scared. By the way, I hope you brought your brown shorts. You might need them. Well, says Eugene Earl. As Mr. Not promised, $25 advance, here it is. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out a wad of cash. He says, now, I can divide it up four ways. You can have five each, and I'll keep the last five for myself for any unforeseen expenses. Or I can dispense the entire 25 to you right now and trust that you folk will know how to spend it responsibly. Uh, I, I feel like Chambers would uh, be more just in the ladder and sort of appoint himself financier of the group. Anyone have any objections? Money is not as reasonable for me. I've had a fingers in the past. Eugene shrugs. He hands the wad of cash to Chambers and he says, I'm willing to loan you my car for the purposes of transportation, but take care nothing happens to it. Girl's expensive. As the telegram says, good starting points might be the library or the Boston Globe, but I'll leave it entirely up to you. Here's the address of the house, he taps on the map. If you want to head straight over to the Corbett house, feel free, but I would strongly advise you make sure you know what you're walking into. Alright. Okay. Uh, who's, um, who's got the most drive? I got four of you. Uh, right. Alright. Yeah, that's more than me. <laughs> I'll find it. Where is it? Drive order in the bottom left. Investigator skills. Bottom left. Yeah, it's in the investigator yes, skills. Yes, that is a zero. So, yeah, yes. you guys probably better off. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, so Eugene nods his head and he says, All right, best of luck, do us proud. And then he nods to the old man, Sandor, who gestures for you to follow him. His, tane, his cane tapping on the floorboards, he slowly leads you out of the bookstore, back into the bright afternoon sun of this busy Boston street. Reaches into his pocket and hands you a set of keys, presumably to Dr. Earl's car. And then the old man smiles, turns and shuffles back into the dusty, dimly lit shop, leaving you to decide the first steps of your investigation. Alright, what are we thinking? Say our best option would be to do a bit of research to make sure you know what we're getting ourselves into. I have a bit of knowledge on the paranormal, but I can imagine all the things I have to remember for work. It might have slipped me a bit. Pull out my library card and I'm like, 
Library then. Yeah, library. Seems a good place to start. Any other ideas? That works for me. And do uh, keep in mind you, you can, can split up if you skills. feel necessary. I think we mm. stick together. Yep. My church has a bunch of books. Maybe it does. Your church is on the outskirts of town, though. Mark it down as a place that might be worth visiting. And this is sceptical as to the usefulness of said book. <laughs> what about our newcomer, Buck? Do you have any particular place you think would be worth paying a visit to? Uh, Buck would definitely uh, be in favour of the library. From um, from what he's experienced, everybody's kind of been a little bit tight-lipped or a little bit too vague about what's supposed to be going on at the Corbett House. So um, yes. uh, finding out a little bit of lore about the town or finding out kind of where to go in regards to like the happenings well, would make sense. But he's not writing in gun first. I will teach you how to make how to make a check call of Cthulhu by having you make an intelligence check. So simply roll a D100 or two D10s, select one to be the units and one to be the 10s, and if it's under or equal to your intelligence, then that's a success. Fantastic. I do have two dice ready, so uh, let's give that a go. You're supposed to roll under, right? Yes, under. Yeah. Uh, that would be a 40. Um, 40? So my... Intelligence is 50, so yes. I assume that would be a... Yep, that's a success. A so, as you follow the others to the car, you draw upon your own experience and background. You're a county sheriff of a small country town, and when people go missing, in your experience, it's the police that know all the details they write it in their file and hide it away so that the public don't mess with the case so you personally think that perhaps paying a visit to the local police station and just asking what they know about this house and more importantly what they know about the marcano family would be worth your time uh, so Buck raises his voice and says, "Does anybody know where the uh, local de deputies department is?" Yeah, I can take you there. Too well. <laughs> Too well. Too well. Too well. Chambers just assumes what he means by deputy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, takes him to the police station. Well, I'll take him to the police station. Yep. So Chambers run-ins with Johnny Law, huh? <laughs> Chambers. Chambers calls um, Buck over to his car, and Buck, it's at this point you notice what Chambers is driving, this solid black Crown Victoria car. The plates mark it as government issue, and as he pulls open the passenger door and allows you to slide in, you see a badge lying on top of the dashboard for the Bureau of Investigation. And you realise that Chambers is a government agent and he's... This is quite strange to you that someone of his experience is even entertaining stories of hauntings and ghosts. Is that, is that, is that an answer your question about the law? Yes, yes it does. Alright, here we go. 
and uh, he kind of just um, put rests his hand on the edge of the um, door frame and like lowers his head under a little bit too um, too carefully, and uh, kind of grumbles to himself a little bit. Says, um, "I fancy running into a lawman around here." Since uh, since when would somebody with your kind of education be interested in this kind of malarkey? Yeah, there's a, there's a story behind that. I'll, uh, I'll tell you sometime. Chambers. Kind of one hell of a story. Yeah. Then you're not a no. member of the, of the group we're in. Um, you haven't yet seen anything unusual yet, have you? No, no. Yep. If we've got any luck today or not bad luck, you might be surprised what you might find. We've... We've all been through something unusual. We wouldn't particularly to something like this usually, but circumstances as they are, here we are. <laughs> well, I suppose life Definitely. is a bit unusual, isn't it? You, you, you can see that. With that, shall we go? Trixie climbs into. Dr. Earl's car parked next to Chambers pulls the door shut behind her as Angel clambers in with her and the two drivers turn the keys in the ignition the engines roar to life and as Chambers reverses his car out onto the street passing by Eugene Earl's automobile the two of you exchange the two drivers exchange nods silent wishes of good luck and then the two cars turn out onto the street and join the vein of traffic heading into downtown boston so we'll go with the library first so angel and trixie you decide to head to the central boston library to see what you can read up about the corbett house its history and any local stories. You park Eugene's car in the car park just across the street from the building and then cross towards the library. The building is grand and overbearing and feels more like a cathedral than a library as your footsteps echo off the dressed stone walls. The smell of mothballs and coffee fills your senses as you enter this grand place. The residents of the book-filled aisles shuffle about in silent reverence as a stern librarian watches over them. So you have a few options here. You can begin with library use checks to see what you dig up, or if there's a specific type of text you're looking for, for example, if you're trying to look for stories of hauntings, you could roll a cult. If you feel you need help, you could possibly even acquire the services of the librarian. I'm guessing Angel would be pretty good at looking for occult things. Yes. Yes, almost certainly. Well read up he's going to go over to the librarian. <laughs> the librarian, a stern-faced woman of mid-forty, looks up from the counter as you approach. She takes a moment to take in your bizarre dress 
And then she curls her lip, and she says, Can I help you? Ah, yes, um... Do you know anyone from the Church of Wellbeing? Church of Wellbeing, she says. I've read about it in the paper. Isn't that a cult? Oh, no, we're not a cult. We're just lovely people. Just like you. Oh, you're looking wonderful today, by the way. Uh, Ecclesia, by the way. She rolls her eyes and she says in a bored voice, Is there something I can do for you today, miss? Right, she says. She takes the library card and she stamps it and she says, Oh, it appears to be in order. Your dues are all paid. Is there anything you're looking for in particular? Oh, no, I'm just going to go on an occult looking thing. I'll be, I'll be out of your way. Right. Angel, please go ahead and make a charm check for me, please. Charm, I'll go there. I'm done charm. There is charm on my list. I'm blind apparently. Ah, see, half of my APP. Yes, half of your appearance. So 25. <laughs> Please. That is a nine. Yes, it gets. That's a success. The library, the, the librarian smiles and nods, and she says, "Well, you know, I've read some odd things about your lot, and I apologize if I came across a bit dismissive. But well, you seem nice enough. The books you'll find most interesting are in aisles eight and nine over there." She points. She says, most of the locals give that part of the library a wide berth. A lot of the locals around here are very suspicious of strange churches, especially after that chapel of contemplation business. At least those of us who are old enough to remember that. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, anyway, thank you. Uh, by the way, keep a little down on the cold things, the church well-being. My superiors would not like that. Anyway, we're not really a cult. Just a church. With beliefs. Very well then, okay. she says. And, and I walk over to Pleasure to make your acquaintance and best of luck with your church. No. And as you turn around, you see that the look on her face is a mixture of puzzlement and suspicion but she's given you what you need so you head straight to aisle eight and start searching you may make an occult check and you may make it with advantage as the librarian has given you directions 53 51 success i yep so you just head straight in start browsing the aisles and you've to be honest you've read most of the books they have here most of the books they have here are entry level stuff occult 101 uh, popular tales of ghosts how to identify a werewolf ways to kill vampires this is not what you're looking for at the very end of aisle nine you find a couple of books that pique your interest though Trixie. I take, uh, yep. Books, and I walk over to Trixie. Yeah, you take slide a book out of the shelf, walk over to Trixie. Trixie, I'd like you to make a library use check, please. Mm, 
Hang on. <laughs> I figured out how to use my D100, but now I can't tell which oh, is a can't tell which is which. <laughs> well, the six usually has a line under it, but... Single numbers is your second... Yeah, single, yeah. The one with two numbers is usually the tens. Uh, that looked like that was a 90, so... Yeah, that's not a success. Would you like not to push... On my end. Would you like to push that? Um, might as well. Yeah, so you're only looking for stuff in a library. It's not like there's much risk of anything happening. 80. Not much better. 80? All right. So... Okay, I, I, may I make a suggestion for a failure? Yeah, what were you going to suggest? Angel slaps over the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you you head did start looking through the aisles, trying to look for old newspapers, archives, things of that nature. You spend the better part of an hour searching and not knowing where to even begin. It's been a long time since you've been in a library. And when you're about to give up, suddenly Angel walks past and she whaps you on the back of the shoulder with a thick leather tome. And Good grief, woman. <laughs> I couldn't find it. <laughs> Hi! Oh, I talked to the lovely lady and she pointed me over to Isles 8 and 9. Um, I've read most of those books anyway, but uh, this one's very interesting. I think you might be interested in it. Is the very one I was looking for. Probably. Let me do it with my looks. So, you follow Angel back to the reading table at the front of the library and open the big leather bound tome that Angel has found. And it appears to be a collection of old newspaper articles that are concerned with strange happenings in town, things that the person who created this scrapbook anyway considered to be related to the supernatural. And this is the article that's contained within. The first one that catches your eye, you flip through it until you see the word Corbett on the page. And right there, you see a yellowed newspaper clipping from 1868. The headline is, Lawsuit Fight Against Corbett Testament. Former neighbours filed another lawsuit against the esteemed Mr. Walter Corbett, this time after his death. It seems that even after he passed away, Mr. Corbett is forced to face persecution at the hands of some small-minded people who have nothing better than to ruin the posthumous desires of an elderly person. Corbett's will, upon being filed at the City Hall at the time of his death by Pastor Michael Thomas, was almost immediately blocked by a lawsuit filled by the residents of Copps Hill neighbourhood. At the time of writing, Councilman E. Ellsworth had suspended the release of new information due to his concern for the privacy of the deceased. Mr. Walter Corbett's neighbours sued him for the first time in 1852 in an unsuccessful effort to evict him from the neighbourhood. He died December 11th, 1866 in his home at 145 Cambridge Street in Copps Hill. He does not leave children, a wife or any living relatives. 
flick through the collection of articles some more and you find a few extra, a few more references to the Corbett House. Mostly yellow journalism consider concerning sightings of ghosts, strange noises, or pets going missing in the vicinity of Copse Hill. But aside from this article about a lawsuit filed against Mr. Walter Corbett, there doesn't appear to be anything else of note. That said, I will ask Trixie and Angel to both make intelligence checks. Uh, that is a 70 and I'm not going to push that's a fail. Yep, alright. Trixie? I was intelligent enough to find it. History, intimidate. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a characteristic, it's not a skill. Oh, that's right, that's right. Shoot, <laughs> where's that? Uh, that is 48 intelligence. Yep, that's a yeah, pass. Yeah, like a pass for me. So as you read this article, Trixie, you find yourself wondering about a few things. Apparently, Mr. Col Mr. Walter Corbett's will was controversial enough that the people in his neighbourhood tried to sue to prevent it from being carried out. Of course, the article has no mention of what this will was, and you figure it might be worth paying a visit to the archives at City Hall to see if you can find the records of this will. Otherwise, Trixie, now that you know the now, now that you know the time periods that you're looking for, the 1800s, you know specifically how to narrow your search. And if you'd like to try to have a search of the library again, you may try and you can use history instead of library use, if you like. History. Uh, oh, ten. ten. <laughs> I was like, I've got three zeros. <laughs> three zeros, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah that's, that's a really good pass. So... Knowing the specific time period you're looking for, you tell Angel to wait head. You rush back into the library and start tracing the years along the non-fiction books and archives in the aisle until you get to the 1800s. And taken by inspiration, you start flipping through the books and you find what you're looking for. A series of old newspaper articles about the history of the Corbett House. The first states that in 1835, a prosperous merchant builds the house, but immediately falls ill and sells it to Mr. Walter Corbett. The second is another newspaper clipping that you call over Angel to take a look at as you begin to read it. It's from 1852. It reads... A legal battle between Walter Corbett and his neighbours has erupted over the possession of his house in Copse Hill. Mr. Corbett, who has lived in his home for 15 years, is being sued by his neighbours for reasons which are unclear. Mr. Corbett's neighbours have called his suspicious habits and inauspicious demeanour a detriment to the neighbourhood atmosphere. 
They have cited these as the reason for their petition to evict him from his home. The details of the lawsuit are unknown as court records are not public record, but it is likely the petition will show up soon in the public record at City Hall once it is filed. The case will be heard in Massachusetts Superior Court by Judge Charles Hemingway as an Associate Justice on the Supreme Judicial Council of Massachusetts in eight, since 1841. Angel and Trixie, you're both both exchange glances with each other as you finish reading this article and close the tome. Not only was his will controversial enough to be subject to his law to a lawsuit, but apparently so was his lifestyle. You have no idea what these inauspicious demeanors or suspicious habits were, but apparently they were enough to make his neighbors petition to have him evicted from his home. Real interesting. Like, the best thing we'll have to do is head to the hall next. Um, now, can I look for another book to see if there's, like, a list of different types of ghosts and things? Yes, you can make you can make an occult check of your own, if you like. And if Angel likes, would like to assist you, then you can do it with advantage. Hang on, let me double check. Occult... Got a five, so that's a really good pass. A really good pass. You ask Angel what would be a good book about ghosts. She leads you back to aisle eight and pulls a little leather tome off the shelf, flicks through it and points to a page listed manifestation of spirits. And here, bizarrely, you notice that somebody has circled the passage about poltergeists. Poltergeists, also known as playful ghosts, are spirits that manifest by physically manipulating objects in the place they haunt. They're commonly reported to throw objects around the room or misplace keys or pieces of jewellery. like we've got some inkling of what the type of supernatural force we're dealing with poltergeist oh boy and some with them when I, I was younger <laughs> I can't handle I'm sure so you can't handle certainly probably not as bad as what you faced in the cellar of Blackwood's holiday cabin so yeah, close... it can't be as bad as a murderous genie. Yes, big tentacled monstrous mass. So you flip the book shut and you gesture for Angel to follow you and as you pass by the librarian Angel, she smiles and nods and she says, you find what you're looking for, miss? Yes, thank you very much. Um, I wouldn't happen to know um, if anybody had hired out this book recently, the one that's got a page circled. She takes the book, flips it over, and looks at the Dewey Decimal Code on the back. And then she starts flipping through her records, and she says, Hmm, yes, uh, I'm, a, I'm afraid this hasn't been borrowed very recently. It was last borrowed... Oh... 
20 years ago it was last checked out, and the name... Hmm, she runs her finger along the piece of paper trying to decipher her own handwriting. She says, ah, yes, yes, here it is. The name is Michael Thomas. Hmm, his library card expired 18 years ago and he never returned to renew it. Oh, thank you. I was, was wondering if it was one of my associates from the museum. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Best of luck, miss, she says, as you step out of the building onto the busy street and notice that there's slightly more cars on the road. It's getting to about 3.30, quarter to four in the afternoon. You spent so much time searching the library that first time when you pushed your role that you ended up spending quite a lot of time in there. The Hall of Records at City Hall is going to be closed very soon. So if you still want to make it there, you're going to have to... Try and make sure you drive smart and fast. On fast. Did Angel have any... Um, Does Angel drive have drive? She doesn't have drive. Oh, well, we'll get back to that. <laughs> For now, we're going to cross to the police station to see how Chambers and Buck are doing in their investigations. You step into the police station, Buck and Chambers. The waiting area is decorated in a bleak wooden panelling and filled with well-worn leather upholstered benches. Many eyes turn to face you as you walk in the busy streets and they wait their turn in orderly silence. The main desk is staffed by a smiling man in a smart, freshly pressed uniform, complete with name tag that proudly informs you that this is Police Officer Faust. As you step up to the counter, Officer Faust smiles at you, tips his hat, and he says, Oh, hey, how, how can I help you, folks? Uh, Buck? Yes, yeah, so, uh, Buck leans forward and... Uh tries to make himself look probably a little bit bigger than he should and uh, leans his entire arm onto the desk, uh, kind of towering over um, Officer Faust as much as he can. He says, we need some information. Well, I can certainly help you out with that, says Officer Faust. And he says, what are you looking for? Fire code, uh, safety directions for evacuation in event of flooding or storms? pamphlets on community safety he gestures towards so, the he gestures towards a little cardboard box on the counter next to him that's filled with pamphlets with a big bright heading reading don't let him in your house and there's a cartoon image of a man in a balaclava with a revolver so uh buck quickly uh waves his hand dismissing him and uh cuts him off part way through the end of his sentence and says no we need some information about some uh some property specifically are you gonna flash him a badge uh buck doesn't have a badge buck doesn't have a badge okay so i will ask buck to please make a persuade chill persuade check depending on how that uh, goes i might flash my badge but we'll see 
Uh, so the default is 10. Does that mean I get 10 even though it's not a skill uptick? Yep, means you get 10. Cool, so it's 10%. All right, let's see how that goes. Uh, I rolled a 64. That is a fail. Yeah, you, you can, can try push to push it? it, which means you can do it again. Oh, no, I'm not going to push yeah. it. If you fail, the yeah, result will be no, worse. Faust no, just I... Faust flashes his smile and he says, Well, uh, if you're referring to any cases under investigation, I'm afraid we can't speak to the public about that. But if you're looking for a... Someone to uh, verify a property contract or something like that. I can, uh, I can refer you to a uh, lawyer who handles such matters. And I suppose at this point, Chambers is going to cut Look, him off. Yeah, uh, Faust, was it? Look, he I, nods. I, I, I hate doing this, but uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm with the force. Any, any shows his badge. Go ahead and make a law check for me, please. Sure. My law is... I had to read this sheet. Um, I know, it's it such a bad 70. sheet. They did make a new sheet that I should look into. So did you pass or fail? Um, oh, gosh, my finger's being weird. Sorry, hang on. That's okay. Uh, I passed. Passed? Not a crit. He looks, leans forward, peers at your badge, and he's satisfied immediately. He nods and he says, Ah, why didn't you say so? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, go ahead. What are you looking for? I'll be happy to help. Hey, Fox is going to take a moment to um, quickly flash his eyes at the badge and kind of squint a little <laughs> bit distastefully. <laughs> yeah. He's sick of these feds coming in and stepping on his investigations all the time. Did you, uh, uh James has had the, has the good grace to let Buck keep running the show. Yeah. So, so as I was saying, uh, we need some information about anything that's got to do with Corbett House or uh, which is the house uh, over on uh, Yonder Street. Uh, and uh, if there's been any uh, break-ins, any murders, any investigations, anything at all. Oh, says Faust. The place in Cops Hill. Yeah. Look, there's been, going back decades now, there's been heaps of call-outs there. Usually someone's heard some strange noise or they've seen a shadow... No one ever found anything there, but he hesitates for a moment. And then he says, well, there was a more notable incident that I suppose is tangentially related to the house, but did not occur on the premises. He leans forwards and this time lowers his voice so that the people in the waiting room around you don't hear. And he says, may I ask what your interest is in that house? I mean, not. Sorry, I'm afraid it's, it's classified. He nods and he says, all right, fine. I, I won't ask any questions, but... Well, see, that house, it was for a time 
the official property of, well, a group of some concern. I... He looks over your shoulder, sees the waiting room, full as it, full as it is, and then he stands up and he says, Please, please, I think it's best if I show you. Follow me, would you, fellas? I leads you through a door behind the counter down a hallway past a room filled with police officers sitting at their desks doing paperwork chatting about their cases idling away the time and at the very end of the hallway there's a metal door with stenciled lettering on it archives faust pushes it open and you follow him into the dark cold room fumbles around reaches out for a chain and pulls it and a light bulb bursts to life humming illuminating the room in harsh blue light he hums in a jovial manner as he runs his thumb along the spines of several cardboard boxes and folders on the shelf and then he finds what he's looking for says aha grabs it and opens it up and hands you a piece of paper from inside. And your eyes go wide as you see what it is. It's an old police incident report concerning a raid carried out on August 12th, 1912. The raid, or the objective of the raid was the search and arrest of members of a group known as the Chapel of Contemplation, specifically their leader, a Reverend Michael Thomas, at the group's compound on 49 Mulgrave Street. The piece of paper states that 54 arrests were made. Eight of the supposed cultists ended up being held on charges, including Michael Thomas. Arms and ammunition were seized, along with gold trinkets and statues. During the raid, whether intentional or not, a fire broke out, burnt down the building and claimed any other evidence within. Seventeen cultists were killed in the fight it killed in the gunfight or the preceding fire along with three policemen note the, the final remark on the police report states no children were found on site raid was occasioned by affidavits swearing that the members were responsible for the disappearances of neighborhood children they fought back harder than expected several were disformed Faust waits until you're done reading the report, and then he sighs and shakes his head, and he says, Well, according to our records we were able to obtain from City Hall, the Corbett House was, at that time, under the legal control of the Chapel of Contemplation. Now, we searched the house, and we found no uh, memorabilia or any other signs that any of the members of the cult were conducting any business there. Place was empty, but... And, well, we seized the house, put it back on the market shortly thereafter. The rest is history, but, uh... 
he looks at you and he says, well, I wasn't there for the raid, but I remember being part of the team that did the curse research of the house and oh boy, I remember the whole time I was there, I had this strange feeling I was being watched and the entire time we were inside the house, the whole place was freezing cold and this was a midsummer day, mind you. Sure, we were coming on to fall, end of, end of August, but things should not be that cold yet. And, well, you know, I've always uh, thought that maybe some of the stories about that place have a basis in its association with these people. He taps the police record. Uh, Buck takes a moment to just kind of process everything he's heard and blinks a little bit, says, So, we've got an interesting house and a well-insulated house. He nods. Then he says, Well, I get the impression that uh, this isn't what you were looking for. Oh, this, uh, this sounds about right. He says, look, I, I know you can't say much, but I happen to know the names of several of the previous residents of the house. And, well, if you're looking into any missing persons or anything like that, I'm sure I could pull up a file. Missing persons? Do we have any names? Definitely. He raises an eyebrow and says, oh, sure, there's missing persons. Last folk who were in that house, the Marcano family, they s seem to have skipped town or something like that. Moved out, no one's heard hard nor hair of them. And previous people who lived in that house have met, well, strange ends. Define strange ends. He thinks for a moment. He says, well, you know, I... Look, look. I think I got something here. And he begins to rifle through the files once again. He extracts another piece of... A, a, another bundle of paper, and you realise that it's an old newspaper. He folds it over and hands it to you. He says, uh, this one we got from the Globe. Uh, they were going to publish this, but we issued an affidavit to keep them from publishing this, to hold it until we were ready. See... We don't want to cause any trouble with that neighborhood, and we don't want to make the situation worse and spread hysteria about that house. But they got the draft printed up before we got to it, and you're looking at the only copy of that paper that was ever printed. It's an article from May 20, 1918. The headline is... What haunts the house in downtown Boston? It says something ominous has been haunting a house on Cambridge Street. Whatever it is, it has already destroyed three families in the last 20 years. The property, number 145, was the scene of several deaths, madness, and possibly murder. Reports say that in March 1880, a family of French immigrants moved into the house. The horrors that were experienced by these people will never be discovered. 
except for a series of violent attacks which somehow resulted in the death of parents and three crippled children on a winter's night. The cause of death would have been stabbing, but the murder weapon was never found. The house remained empty for a long time after that, but in 1909 another family moved in and was immediately stricken with disease. In 1914, the older brother went crazy and killed himself with a kitchen knife. Finally, the inconsolable family moved to another state. The terror returned when in April 1918, five years ago, a third family, the Marcanos, rented the house, but they soon left under mysterious circumstances. Is the house cursed? Is there a demon haunting the residents? Maybe something wrong with the water or a disease that has remained there since the year of construction. In any case, anyone who dares to live there from now on must be brave and strong enough to keep their sanity and mental health. So is everybody as paranoid as uh, the journalists in this town? Faust looks at you and he shrugs and he says, well, I don't know if I'd say paranoid is the right word. I mean, read you're reading the same article that I read, right? There's a bona fide history of all sorts of messed up, messed up things happening in and around that house. We're talking 14 people dead in a raid on what was supposed to be a church. We're talking an entire family murdered, another family moving out, a suicide. Yeah, if, uh, if you're going to be sticking around with us, you'll, uh, you'll get used to this. <laughs> I ain't never bringing right. a sound like this. <laughs> well, uh, we'll get you a client of dice. Uh, Mr. Faust, thank you for your help. One last thing, says Officer Faust as you turn to leave. He says, I remember now reading the name in the article, the Marcano family. See, I wasn't sure at first. I heard they just moved out. But now you've jogged my memory, and uh, I seem to recall... That, uh, Mr. Marcano, the father of the family, uh, was later committed to Roxbury Asylum. Uh, just a short drive out of the neighborhood. And if I recall, it was a mental health breakdown or some nervous episode, something like that, that prompted him and his wife to move out in the first place. Yeah, I remember now. We located them, that they were safe and well, closed their file, but as far as I know, he's still locked up in the hospital. Uh, Buck quickly uh, rips out a little notebook from his pocket and a really fat, chewed pencil and uh, sketches down as much information about the location as possible. Um, clearly, uh, finally interested in what's happening. He gives you the you address. He gives you the address for Roxbury Asylum, and he says, Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Mr. Marcano was the one who was committed. Uh, Vittorio Marcano. His wife, Gabriella, lovely lady from what I remember, but she was uh, near, damn near catatonic when we found her. Look, my advice to you, if you've come looking for the Marcanos, you just... 
tell your boss that you found them. Maybe pay him a visit at the asylum to verify they're okay. And then maybe you turn around and go back where you came from. This Corbett house is not something that you want to waste your life looking into. Now, from where, where I come from, my business is my business. I apologize, my partner. Uh, we'll, we'll take care of ourselves. I, I appreciate your concern, Mr. Faust. Faust nods and he says, look, I, I understand. Your business is your business. I'll leave it up to you, but please, a place like that, oh, I get the heebie-jeebies thinking about it, just... Just be careful, you hear? And then he leads you back out of the archives room, back into the lobby, takes his seat at the counter and calls up the next person. As two middle-aged women shuffle across the room towards him, he gives you one last look, a stern look and a nod. Be careful. You step out of the police station, back onto the street as cars scream past and people go to and forth about their business. If you want, the you, two uh, of you can... Yep, go ahead. That, that attitude gets you very far. Oh, people. you'd be surprised exactly what it gets me. Mm. Yeah, so, well, would uh, you mind... No, uh, pull it down. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see about that. So, uh, would you mind being my chauffeur for the day? I want to go see, uh, Mr. Marcano. Yeah, oh. I can do. So, Chambers, gaze at the notebook, see the address that he's written down, and realize it's not only out of the neighborhood, it's on the other side of Boston. This is a drive that's going to take at least an hour and it's already getting rather late in the day, so you're going to have to be quick. Uh, luckily, I can... Uh, yeah, we were driving a little bit fast in the average, Joe. Yes. Oh, we got a bit of a lead foot going on. <laughs> before, we, before we move to the next scene, though, I will allow the two of you to make intelligence checks, just to consolidate what you've learned and see what other options you have. Oh, right, it's up there. Um, uh, pass. Pass, yep. Uh, that is a fail. It's a fail. It's okay, you don't need to pass. Chambers, as Chambers leads you towards his car in the parking lot attached to the police station, he starts to go over what you've learned, reciting it out loud. The Corbett House was at one point in the possession of a group called the Chapel of Contemplation, this chapel of contemplation was suspected of being behind the disappearances of several neighborhood children, and so the police raided their compound, arresting the members of this cult, including their leader, a man by the name of uh, Michael... I've forgotten his name already. <laughs> a man by the name of... Let me just bring up the police report again man by the name of Michael Thomas. During the raid, however, a fire broke out and consumed much of the chapel. 
That said, the police report didn't say it was entirely destroyed, and you know its address, so that might be a possible place you'd like to check out as well. Yeah, uh, how, is that like on our way? Or? It won't be on the way, but perhaps after you've been to the... You can head there now, or you could head to the asylum and then meet up with the other group and then all head there together. It's up to you. I feel yeah, like maybe going um, to the asylum first would be good because it'll close at some point. But a yes. burned out house probably won't Yeah, close. burned out place is going to be there for you to look at all night. Yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds fine, maybe. All right. So we go back to Trixie and Angel. Trixie and Angel. It's... The clock is ticking over. It's very nearly four in the afternoon. And having lived in Boston most of your lives, you know City Hall closes at five on the dot. It's not too far away. It's just on the edge of downtown. But with everybody starting to make the commute home from work, the streets are packed with traffic. So, I'd like one of you to make a drive check for me. Or, alternatively, one of you can make a drive check and another can make a navigate check. Have you got anything for navigation? Let me check for mine. Hey, nope, I've got none. What about Angel? Oh, sorry. Blind leading the blind. All right. All right, blind leading oh, the blind. No, no. That was just a 46, and I've got no investigator skills for that. Yeah, so, yep, so if you don't have, if you don't have any points in the skill, it's just the number listed next to the skill name. So navigate would be 10. And so would a uh, drive would be twenty. So no luck driving there, but we'll at least know the right direction. <laughs> right, Angel. How? Which one are you going to make? Uh, I'll do drive. All right. Uh, that is a 24. Ooh. Do you want to spend four luck to get it to a pass? No, I will. All right. So, Angel, it's been a long time since you've driven. When you need to get somewhere, you usually rely on the friendly members of your flock to drive you around. But you do have your license. And so you gesture for Trixie to follow you and you say, Oh, we're going to make it. The Lord is going to help us make it. And then you slam your foot down on the pedal, screech onto the street, and... Trixie, you're aware that Angel is driving well above the speed limit as she rockets you down the main street, takes a sharp right, the car lifts up nearly on two wheels, and you find yourself fighting to remain inside the vehicle. But somehow, somehow Angel gets you there on time. She slams her foot on the brake and the car jolts to a stop, nearly throwing the two of you into the windshield. You're parked in front of City Hall and Angel, smugly, you point towards the big clock on a post in front of City Hall. 
It's a quarter to four. You've made it just in time with 15 minutes to spare. Find me. Let you drive again. (laughs) The Lord kept you safe, didn't he? The Lord kept you safe, at least. You were the Lord. I don't know if he felt, but, you know. (laughs) We were one in the same. So we've been heading quick. <laughs> the Hall of Records is a plain governmental office that blends into the row of commercial offices that line this street. The glass front door opens into a lobby that continues on into a long, bland hallway lined with glass front doors, each informing you of what treasured information is filled within. A small elderly man exits one of the doors, dropping a stack of files to the floor as he sees you. He is not amused and becomes flustered at being startled. We're going to close in ten minutes, he says as he starts picking up the papers that are scattered around his feet. He says, we're we're closed to the public. We're close to the public, unless you got something real important. What we do, my dear fellow? Finishes gathering up his papers, bundles them back into his hands, and he looks the two of you up and down, and he turns to you, Angel, and takes note of your bizarre dress. He says, if you're here to... If you're here to check the old church pamphlets, I don't have time to find the key to that room. Please, I'm already part of the church. Now out of our way. Well, uh, hang on, he says. Might I ask what you ladies are looking for? You see, I'm the clerk here, Sid Peabody. He extracts his right hand from the pile of papers and holds it out and it shakes as he holds it in the air. to meet you. We were just here to quickly look up some records of some um various um Verona blank on what we're doing. Um The Corbett House? Sure. Just on the Corbett House, my friend. The Corbett House, he says. Oh, well, uh, see the room I just popped out of? All the old property records are there and anything that's auxiliary to the a Corbett House should be there. You'll be fine to find it on your own, I presume. I'm quite busy, he says. Yes, yes, no trouble. We we could find it. Uh, so wondering, do you keep records of um, death certificates or anything in here? Indeed we do. In fact, very same room, he says. Perfect. Makes it even easier. We'll be as quick as we can, I do promise. He says, I'll be counting down. Ten minutes from now, place closes up. If you're not done by then, you're out. He turns to shuffle away. Angel, are you going to let him leave or are you going to try to get him to help you? I'm going to get him to help us. All right, so how do you go about it? Um, I want to use my psychology to psychologically... Evaluate this man. Yeah, go ahead. Wrong. Make a psychology check. Uh, that's a 26, which is a pass. 
So as he begins to shuffle away, muttering under his breath, you see that this old man is extremely nervous and flighty. He's in an he's in a rush to get his work done for the night and get out, and seems to be quite irritated that he has to wait an extra ten minutes for you to find what you're looking for. Perhaps, perhaps you could make the point to him that if he helps you find what you're looking for, it'll be a lot quicker than if you were to look yourself. And then we can, then everyone can just get out of here and head off for the night. My dear fellow, if you wish to go home, it would be optional, but uh, you could probably just help us, you know? We'll be in and out all the more quicker you say enticingly go ahead and make a persuade check for me oh god what is my persuade uh, persuade is 10 percent. 10 percent. you can substitute it for charm no. if you like because i know charm's a bit what? higher no, I all right you want to push i'm gonna push it no all right you let him head on his way and you, you he turns around and he says, I've got to go lock up rooms on the other side of the hall, and then I've got to put away all these files. You've got ten minutes. And then he turns and open your mouth to protest, but decide to leave him. Can I pick his pocket? What? You pick his pocket. Can I pick his pocket? Yeah, okay. sure. You can. Go ahead and make a sleight of hand check as he shuffles away. Uh, that's a like 35. Can I use five for my luck? Yeah, go ahead. Wrap your arms around him and you say, Oh, it's it's fine. It's fine. Go do what you need to do. We won't take up, up any more of your time. And then behind you, Trixie, you see Angel flick her hand into the man's pocket and extract a small silver key as he shuffles away from her down the hallway and turns the corner. And now you have all the time in the world. You turn. Until he finds his keys. Until he finds his keys. Oh, yeah. I'll leave them somewhere and he'll be like, oh, I dropped my keys. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, he won't be able to lock you no, in there. He won't know. So as oh, you. I'll lock us in. Yeah, he can't get you out then. So you head into the room he indicated. You pull the door shut and you lock it behind you using his key. And then under the dull glow of the single flickering bulb hanging from the concrete roof, you begin to search. You may both go ahead and make library use checks, and you do not get a penalty because you're not under a time limit anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, pass. I got zero, zero, and zero. <laughs> Alright, so you got the worst failure possible, but Trixie passed. <laughs> That's okay. They should balance each other out. So, you spend the next ten minutes pulling files off the shelf that look like they might be useful, stacking them up in a pile, and after a while you hear the sound of shuffling footsteps in the corridor outside. It seems Sid Peabody has returned. You hear the sound of the door. You hear the sound of the door being pushed as he turns the doorknob. 
finds it locked and then you hear him shut you hear him shuffle away muttering oh must have seen those two lasses out and locked it locked up without <laughs> remembering <laughs> oh oh sid sid you need to start keeping track of everything you've done your memory is going like a sieve these days <laughs> that was lucky yes quite indeed it's what the keys as we left but it seems like your plan worked it's well i'll search for Carno house do you want to search for corbett maybe we can get this done quicker in case yes. Yes. Get out. I, I think that might be a great idea you split up what you're searching for and eventually gather up enough materials that you think you'll be able to find what you're looking for. And so you assemble at the tiny metal table in the corner of the room, lay out all of the papers and files and begin sorting through them. I would... Some of them are quite old. The papers are very yellowed. The ink on them has started to fade and deteriorate. So I'd like the both of you to make own language checks, please, to try to read them. Uh, that's an 11. It's definitely a pass, yep. Twenty-six pass. Yeah, pass. Okay. So you start flicking through them. The majority of these records are not worth your time. Old records for repairs and renovations done on the house and the surrounding neighbourhood. The council getting a gardener in to trim the lawn and plants that had grown so unmanaged that they had started to take over the surrounding properties. But there's a couple that are definitely useful to you. The very first is what you came here for. Walter Corbett's will. On an old, yellowed piece of paper that's so fragile, you almost feel like it's going to fall apart in your hands. It is written, The Last Will and Testament of Walter Corbett, Esquire, July 7th, 1865. I, Walter Corbett, of the County of Suffolk and the State of Massachusetts, being in perfect health of body and mind, do write this document as my last will and testament in the following manner. Item the first. I appoint Pastor Michael Thomas of the Chapel of Contemplation in Copps Hill, Boston, Massachusetts, as my executor to this last will and testament, this the 7th day of July, 1865. Item the second. I give to the Chapel of Contemplation, Copps Hill, Boston, Massachusetts, all of my possessions, including my copy of Redacted, and my property at 145 Cambridge Street in Copps Hill. Item the third. I direct the executor to lease my property using the funds, the proceeds to fund the church. Item the fourth, I wish my body to be interred in the basement of the property as specified by the instructions left to my executor. As you finish reading this last item in the will, Trixie and Angel, I'd like you to both make sanity checks. 
36. Okay. So if you passed, you lose one point of sanity. I believe you both passed. A chill runs down your spine. Walter Corbett didn't just die in the Corbett house. He remains there to this day, interred in the basement. The second item you discover is of considerable less use, but it clarifies a few things you've read. It's a record of the lawsuit that was levied against Corbett by his neighbours. It simply reads, Mr. Faulkner and D. Burridge, neighbours of Walter Corbett, today ratify a petition with the signature of 12 other members of community against the said who's with intention of forcing him to stop residing at 145 Cambridge Street in downtown Boston as a result of his curious habits and unauspicious demeanours. You seem to have found what you've been looking for. You know where Walter Corbett is. He's still at his house. And furthermore, there are references to him leaving some of his property to this chapel of contemplation. The very same one that the librarian mentioned to you, Angel. And I'd like you both to make intelligence checks. 44, pass. 25, pass. You exchange worried glances as it clicks in your brain. The Chapel of Contemplation. You flash back to that awful night two months ago. You stand there in the living room of Blackwood's cabin, holding his diary aloft, Trixie, reading it with Angel peering over your shoulder. You remember the passage. In accordance with the rites prescribed to me by the Chapel of Contemplation. It appears that this organisation, whoever they were, whoever they are, were a patron of not only Walter Corbett, but the wizard who commanded the genie on that night two months ago, Milton Blackwood, Angel, your ancestor. This is all related. It's connected. After you Seems like your family knows how to weed their way into everything. Mm, they sure do. Yeah, we are quite a big family. Like many brothers and sisters. After you let this sink in, you let yourselves out of the archives room, exit the hall of records, leaving the little silver key on the front counter underneath a pile of papers for Sid Peabody to find the next morning. And as you step outside, you realise it's gotten rather late. The sun has started to go down. The street is almost empty now. There's little in the way of cars or people going past, going about their daily business. The sky above has turned blood red and the shadows are growing longer and darker. So you head back towards 
Dr. Eugene Earle's car. Make your way back to the old bookstore to await Chambers and Buck and learn what they have discovered. We move to Chambers. Yep, yep. Can I um, do a check to see if I found... um, What's his name? Record if Michael was still alive or not? Ah, yes, I forgot that. Go ahead and please make a history check. Scroll down. That's a fail. Fail. You don't recall finding it. And though you suspect if he's anything like Blackwood, he'll have found a way to persist. And so you sit in silence, just watching the city go by out the window as Angel drives you back sandor's bookstore and we go to buck and chambers it's a long way to roxbury asylum chambers are you up for a drive uh, fine by me go ahead make a drive auto check <laughs> oh that's a fail i got 99 um I'm going to push that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but if I push it, I, I, I'm worried it might... Please note, Chambers <laughs> can assist by making a navigate check if he pleases. Okay, um, that would be 10, so I don't know how much that would help. Well, yeah, no, uh, sorry, not Chambers. I mean, I mean Buck can assist mm-hmm. with that if he wants. Uh, I will roll for that. Yes. And if that doesn't go well, then we can push then through push the drive. The drive. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's see how these go. Uh, oh, that is an absolute failure. 77. No yeah. Oh, God. Well, I, you're I new to town. <laughs> you, you've got the map in front of you, but Boston's just a maze of roads and streets. And you're able to give very rough directions, but in the end, it's up to Chambers to use his locals' knowledge to find his way through town. So go ahead and push... And you know, see how the you... uh, big city, yeah. You know, back where I'm from, you turn left at the rock, you <laughs> turn right at the barn. It's not so difficult. Drive Maybe a little bit city, past the cactus. I'm way out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that. Uh, 100. 100. I'm Very crashing well. the car. 100. So. Are we crashing the car? <laughs> Well, you you want to make it to Roxbury Sanitarium and back before it closes. So Chambers decides to drive above the speed limit, roaring down the streets, screaming through little side alleys, past crowds of people and other cars. There are several near misses along the way, but that's not what gets you. You're about halfway to the sanitarium when you hear the sound of a siren behind you. Chambers loudly sighs as he slams his foot on the brakes and stops the car. A uniformed police officer saddles up to your window, crosses his arms, and he says, Evening, fellas. You got any idea how fast you were going? 
He says, I hear it all the time, son. I'm sorry, I know you're in a rush, but I'm going to have to write you a ticket. And I'm going to have to ask you to come downtown so we can get the details of your vehicle and your license and registration. Uh, sir, uh, got to hit that two times today already. Uh, look, I'm, I'm on assignment and I, I flash him. Flash your badge. <laughs> Go ahead, make a law check. Oh, for fuck's sake, I'm pushing it. Go ahead. Oh my god! <laughs> I got 87 and then 94! Do you want to spend luck? Bad luck. I, I kind of think I can spend 17 luck, that seems... Well, you do get... If, if your luck's low enough, you get it back at the end of the scenario, but... Do it, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> We're pushing the goddamn... Thing. I spent 17 lots Look. of He looks at Let your badge. Oh, God. Looks at your badge and he frowns and he says, I don't remember Bureau giving you authorization to be above the law. But I'll let it slide this one time. You just be careful. A lot of people on the road this time of day. Don't cause any accidents. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Hate to see something happen to this beautiful car, he says, as he tips his hat, turns, and walks back to his patrol car. You wait until he's driven ahead of you and turned left at the next corner before you put your foot down on the pedal again, and as you drive off, you feel as if you've done something wrong. You feel... A great weight beginning to bear down on you, a sense of foreboding. But thankfully, yeah. you make it to Roxbury Asylum. You make it to Roxbury Asylum. It's a. It's half past four. Half an hour, enough to get in, ask questions, and get out. Park your car in the parking lot and then make your way towards the sanitarium, which is an old mansion built in the early 1800s, a fountain done in a Greek style of lovers embracing as if for the last time, is set before great stairs that lead up to the front of the building. The grounds are beautifully maintained and it even has a neatly trimmed hedge maze. As soon as you push open the front door, a wash of disinfectant and the wailings of the mad assault your senses. The reception area is empty, unlit, cast in shadow. You can just barely make out the face of two orderlies standing behind the counter. The first, whose name tag reads Frost, is a huge, imposing, bald man with a neutral look on his face. The second, whose name badge reads Carver, is shorter, skinnier, and as you approach him, he folds his fingers together and looks at you in a decidedly sinister way. Visiting hours were half an hour ago. He says, "Yeah, uh, I'm aware. I, would you believe we got pulled over on the way here?" 
I would believe it, he says, and then he looks at Frost next to him, looks back at you, and he says, still visiting Arlo as half an hour ago. Visiting, I'm checking in. <laughs> <laughs> After that trade, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was sanity for a break in the law. I'm like, oh, what have I done? Could have bring Angel with you. You could have put her in there. Yeah, that would be nice. Maybe next time. They're like, oh, Angel, you're done. Oh, if, if they saw Angel, they'd probably commit her immediately. <laughs> Buck wanders up to the desk and um, tries to be a little bit more personable than he has been in the past um, for the in the past encounters for the day. I am dreadfully sorry, but there's someone I really do need to see here. Uh, does the name Rokano mean anything to you? Is he here? Go ahead, make a charm check for me, please. Uh, let me see. What's my charm? My charm is... Would be half your appearance if you don't have it. Half my appearance. I don't have charm specifically. Okay, so that would be... Uh, 30. Uh, 19. Yeah, lovely. Oh, there you go. How about that? Two orderlies exchange glances, and then Frost says... Marcano, yes. Though the only people who visit them are their children, and I believe they are currently staying with relatives in New York City. Uh, Buck mutters to himself, um, just uh, expressing relief that the children are at least okay. Uh, so he leans forward again and um, tries to kind of roll on with the charm that he's um, <laughs> currently attempting to put on. I know this is a good position, but I really do need to see him. Is there any way I can just get in and out, five words, be out of your hair in five minutes? That's all. I, I, I really do need to see him. Oh, it'd be more than my job if I was caught letting visitors in after visiting hours, says Frost. Perhaps you might make it worth my while. If you'd like to try to bribe him, make a credit rating check. Um, you know, I will do that. Uh, that's my spending level, right? If you've calculated that, yeah, you can go ahead. Otherwise, just roll credit rating as if it was a skill. Uh, I don't know what my act- Oh, uh, actually, no, I, I do have that. Where's my credit rating? That's 40. Um, so let's see. Uh, that did not go so well. 92. Would you like to push it? <laughs> yeah, I have lint, lint in my pocket today. You go to open your oh, wallet, there's yeah. nothing, just dust balls come out. This does have $25 that we got. 25 $25? Yes, Chambers does have that. I do. Uh, do, we do? I'm not inclined I'm not to... <laughs> One, I'm not going to be seen bribing somebody as a federal agent, and two, I'm not inclined to spend everyone's money on this. <laughs> so Buck's gonna look back later on. Was that a fifteen? Uh, look back at um. Well, that's twenty or twenty-five. what was that? Sorry. I was gonna say, was that a fifteen? Did you say, or did I hear miss here? Uh, no, that was uh, ninety. So you pushed it and it's even worse? <laughs> oh, no, I, I oh, no. didn't push I didn't push uh, it, yep. no. Yep. All right, go ahead. 
Uh, no, guys. Um, so Buck's gonna look oh, yeah. uh, look back over his shoulder at Chambers and kind of uh, give like a nudging uh, head gesture towards the uh, the clerk behind the desk. I oh, you're not gonna make me do it three times in a day. I. All right, you know, fine. That 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 Baggio sure does come in handy. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Go uh, ahead, Mister Federale. Frost, uh, was it? Look, I. I don't like doing this, but I'm actually on assignment. I'm from the Bureau. You flash your badge, I, uh... and I'm not going to make you roll for law this time, because the moment you flash your badge, the two look at each other. Their eyes look suddenly so wide that they look like they're going to bulge out of their sockets, and the huge man, Frost, peers down at the little man, and he says, <gasps> Do you think they're here about the... And the little man gasps, raises a hand, clasps it over his big companion's mouth, and he says, No, no, don't mention... <coughs> Officers, if you'll follow us, we'll take you to see Mr. Marcano. Is there uh, something I should be knowing about here? No, nothing at all, says the little sinister man. We, uh, uh, anything you've heard about painkillers being sold from this premises is hearsay, nothing more. Mm, yeah, I'll, I'll take your word on that. Uh, just please take us through. They lead you through the sanitarium, past, past cells full of raving lunatics, people shaking the bars, shouting indecipherable nonsense, making screeches that have barely any legible language in them. There are cry there are there are cries, sobs, screams of fear and terror, raucous laughter, some of them even from the same people. Until finally, you are brought to Vittorio Marcano's cell. The big orderly reaches into his pocket, pulls out a key, and slides it in the lock. The great door creaks as he pushes it open. And inside, you see Vittorio Marcano. He appears to be quite mad. His long brown hair is dishevelled around his face. There are lines etched into every inch of his face. He's clasping what appears to be a Bible to his chest. And as you're led into the room, he simply looks up at you, narrows his eyes and says nothing. There is no flicker of recognition on his face, Buck. He does not seem to know who you are. Uh, Buck's going to um, take off his hat and put it uh, on his chest for a second and just kind of mutter to himself uh, as he slowly and kind of somberly walks forward to um, Vittorio and says, My God, what happened to you? Vittorio stands up, steps forwards, and seems to peer into your eyes, Buck. And then without warning, he moves, flips open the Bible, jabs his index finger at the page, and shouts, 
by his own weapon is the devil worsted. Uh, Buck flinches as um, he uh, isn't sure exactly what's happening um, and uh, tries to kind of with his hands up, uh, just kind of like uh, express to Victoria that like, he means no harm, this is okay, and um, try to calm him down as much as possible. Go ahead and make a psychology or a psychoanalysis check. Um, I'm gonna give psychology because there's a bit of a better better role with that. Yep. That's 10%. Um, uh, I got a six and a double O, is that? That's a, a six. six, yeah, that's a very, yeah, oh, you passed. Well, there you go. Well, At last, he seems to recognize you. There's a flicker of lucidity in his eyes. And then he throws himself into your arms, wrapping his arms around your shoulder, burying his face in your body, and he begins to sob. <laughs> then evil presence lives in the house. Fuck. Something wrong there. At night, we would wake to find it leaving leaning over us when it was angry it would throw dishes objects around the room it hated us it 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 wanted us god buck uh, buck kind of stammers and um gingerly uh rubs his shoulder without getting too close to him uh, clearly physical affection is not something he's fantastic at um, it says, it's okay, it's okay, uh, what, how, uh, have you seen your wife and kids, or, or, did, did they make it out okay? As you push him off, he stands there for a moment, and then he sinks back down into the seat in the cell. He looks up at you and he says, Gabriella is, yes, Gabriella is okay, she's, with my brother and his family in New York City. So are the kids. I... I had to get them away from that house. I... The evil in, in, in that house, Buck, I... He trails off and then clasps his forehead in his hands and he says, I... The same dream every night, Buck, the same dream. Something in the basement, the darkness of the basement a silver knife, a silver knife resting on a stone table, and, and there's blood on the blade. So Buck, um, Buck breathes for himself, and uh, he's clearly relieved that um, his wife and kids are at least okay, and uh, knows that people back home will definitely um, be glad to hear that at least they haven't come to quite the same end as he has. Um, but he steps forward and sits um, sits with um, Vittorio. Says, Mr. Mercurio, uh, Mr. Meccano, would it help if I went and checked this out, put your dreams to rest? His eyes widen as you say this, and then he nods furiously, silently. He says, yes, yes, I... Still, it haunts my dreams. You you have to find what's in that house, Buck. You have to put it to rest for the sake of my family. Uh, Buck just quickly um, throws a glance behind him to Chambers and um, just to check if um, this is an okay thing to be dragging him into. 
Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. All right, don't worry, friend. We're going to check this out. I'm going to make sure there's nothing going on. We're going to get you out of here. We're going to go get your family, take you back home, all right? He nods furiously, tears glisten in his eyes. And then you extract yourself from him. You turn to leave the cell, and just as the orderly is pulling the door shut behind you, he calls out again, Remember, Buck! The silver knife! The orderly slams the door shut. Thoughts? We'll talk about this in the chat. Make your way back through the... Back through the asylum. Thank the orderlies for their time and step out into the parking lot. The sun is going down and as the trees around the sanitarium warp in the shadows looking like tendrils of darkness reaching towards you, the entire asylum looks rather sinister. You make your way to the car, climb in, pull the door shut. Buck's going to take a moment to um, kind of uh, have a quick conversation and express. Look, um, I'm sorry about today. This place is, this is a real strange town. Since I got here, everyone's been paranoid and everyone's been talking about ghosts and all sorts of strange things. And frankly, I don't get along with the government so well. I... I'm I'm sorry, and thanks for entertaining this. Yeah, you know, well, I'm a nice guy. For what it's worth, uh, Boston's a normal town unless you get involved with this shit. I know, that takes a quick moment, so I'll flash him a grin and say, uh, do you reckon I can get one of those badges, by the way? <laughs> James doesn't even acknowledge the comment. <laughs> We skip forward to the front of Sandor's second-hand bookstore. Night has started to fall. The main street of downtown Boston is blanketed in, a, in deep shadows of purple and grey. The bookstore is closed, but it's still your meet-up point. As Chambers and Buck sit waiting in the vehicle they see the headlights of dr earl's car turning into the parking lot and then the second car comes to a stop right next to you the doors open and angel and trixie climb out you notice the two of them look perhaps ever so slightly shaken their skin gaunt and gray in the glow of the streetlights. And anything useful, boys? We've had a eventful day. Yeah, so it was quite fun, if I do say so. I'm just like... You would not believe the day we've had. You spend a few minutes quickly summarising what you've found to each other and Chambers as... Trixie and Angel tell you about the connection, the 
chapel of contemplation. It all falls into place. This is connected to whatever happened that night two months ago. If not directly, then at least through this organisation. And suddenly you're filled with a burning resolve. You must see this through to its end. Well, as if the podcast on its own wasn't enough. Uh, messing with the Blackwood family, seeing how the genie was handled, I pretty much say we're oh, gin. But... Gin. It's a gin. Gin. Yes, I of course, Angel. Would, like, at least, of friend, course, Angel would correct. So, I'm not sure what it is all y'all saw last time, but poltergeists, ghosts. There's got to be a reasonable explanation for all this. Oh, you would hope so, but we'll see, won't we? <sighs> if you stayed at my church for even one day, you'd find all of their stories to be real. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like we do have a connection with the person who inherited the building, Michael. And I couldn't find any record that they had passed, so perhaps they're still leasing out the building. So, we might need to keep an eye out if there's maybe anyone that might be starting to move in again, or anything of so that So what you're saying is we're going to need to be all sneaky-like. Yes. We don't uh, want Chambers, to... you uh, ready to bring that badge along one more time? Uh, you, you break, you're busting my balls here. I so, would say we don't want to the inhabitants, but... Chance they've already been spooked, they might let us in and we can look around. They might be able to help us with more information on what's going on. So you do oh, sure. yeah. So you can head can head off to the Corbett house and see finally what horrors await there. But there is one avenue left. The Chapel of Contemplation. It was raided. It was burned. But the site still remains. And if it's connected to the Corbett house, perhaps it might be worth a visit. Hmm. It's up to you. I see no need in going to such a lower church. Sure you don't want to get that church's wisdom for your own? After all, they are the ones who imparted wisdom to your ancestor. My ancestor is just a pain. <sighs> we want to find out more about this gentleman that used to reside in the building and see what connection he has to the church. It seems like he was very well liked by the community. Perhaps I would assume that it's on the way, correct? Yes, the chap the site where the Chapel of Contemplation was, it's on the way. It's only about two or three blocks from the house itself. I heard to ask and see if they've just got a record of what he might have done for the church, why he was so controversial. If it could help. Well, it'd only be neighborly to knock and say hello. So it's decided. You'll pay a visit 
to the chapel of contemplation on the way and angel you're you're eager to get to the house and you have no desire to see this lesser church but you have to admit you're at least a little bit curious to see where your ancestor learned his esoteric knowledge would be interesting to see where this ring's origins lead and so this time knowing that you're heading to the same location you leave dr earl's car here at the bookstore angel and trixie clamber into the back seat of chambers federal patrol vehicle and you set out into the darkness drive in silence for 20 minutes until chambers places his foot on the brake pedal the tires crunch over asphalt jolting you forwards still a few decades before seat belts will be invented here you are chambers claps his hands together fumbles for his sidearm making sure it's in place and then climbs out of the vehicle you slam the doors shut behind you and your feet crunch over the gravel and asphalt as you walk towards what was once the chapel of contemplation what is left of the old church stands at the end of a crooked dingy street the ruins are so weathered and overgrown with greenery that the grey stone rubble seems more like natural rock than former walls and foundation. You pass a slumping wall bearing white painted symbols, apparently freshly swabbed despite the age of the place. Three Ys arranged in a triangle so that the top elements of each Y touch the other two in the centre so created is an open eye. As you see this symbol on the wall, you begin to feel tingles in the front of your foreheads, almost like a headache, but not quite. Just the strange feeling that something is ever so slightly off. That eye in the centre of the symbol. Nothing more than a painting on stone seems to pierce into your very psyche. I'd like everyone to please make a sanity check. And alt how you make these is you roll your sanity as if it was a skill. As if it was a skill? Yeah, as if it was uh, a skill. Critical pass. Critical pass. Um... How do you determine if it's a critical pass from something? Under half. So it's a critical, Plus yeah. Five. It's a critical if it's under half. Well, oh, I also got well, a critical actually, then. It's oh, an extreme if it's a fifth and critical if it's half. Ah, oh, okay, then I got a critical pass. Critical fail. Yep. Critical fail. Five. Ooh. So success. And Angel. exactly half. I got a 35, so success. Yeah, so Angel, Chambers, and Buck, you all lose one point of sanity. Trixie. There is something about this symbol, about this eye, and it chills you to your very core. Something is terribly wrong. And for a moment, you swear you can hear a voice, a voice whispering in your ear, saying, come, come inside. Come to receive the knowledge of the one beyond. And you lose 1d4 sanity. 
four. I didn't even bring these dice out. One D four. Lose all four. Yeah, all four sanity lost. Doesn't do anything. The, those criticals and anything. extremes don't count with sanity. But um, so you see these scattered, overgrown ruins in front of you, and Trixie, you feel almost inexplicably drawn to them. If you'd like to resist the call, please make a power check. That's a pass. That's a pass. You feel that strange tingling in the front of your forehead, and now it is starting to feel like a headache. Something is scratching in there. Something is tapping. And you want nothing more than to explore these ruins. But you clench your fists, and you turn to see what the others will do first. Uh, Buck will be um, kind of like pushing on his forehead uh, and like squinting and scrunching up his face a little bit and uh, grumbling very very lightly to himself and groaning uh, and looks around to see uh, everybody else clearly having some kind of a Discomfort. similar experience. Yep. So, y'all feeling alright? I don't feel alright. <laughs> I feel just brilliant, my friend. Yeah, you regretted coming here at I'm first, Angel, at but me. you're feeling the telltale signs that there is something real here. Future does usually give me a headache, but looking <laughs> at the eye, I want to try and use my occult to figure out what it is. Yes, you may use your occult, or you may roll Cthulhu Mythos. It's entirely up to you. I'm going to use my occult. My occult's not in the microphone of Mythos. Go ahead. I'm just going to come out and say that I'm hearing voices like... Usually yeah, success, like, like, yep, so uh, uh, success. success, and so Trixie, you're you're just coming straight out and saying you're hearing voices. You're saying you thought you heard something. Unusual, but I swear I could hear something that's sort of calling or beckoning me to church, and I'm not a churchly woman, so <laughs> there's something looks, going on around here. James just looks at Buck and says, "Yeah, let the records dating for like shit." Buck, you don't believe in any of this, but there's something about this place that doesn't feel right, and you almost believe that maybe she did hear something. You're not quite ready to commit to it, though, I don't think. No, definitely not. So, Angel, you... Yep. You sure it wasn't her mumbling to herself? <laughs> yeah, because Angel's, like, standing in front of the symbol. She's got her hands all over it. She's muttering under her breath. I'll have you know, I am a highly established woman with a PhD. Yes. <laughs> Doctor. Doctor Trixie. So, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Angel. Angel, you run your fingers over the edge of the symbol, speaking your ancestor's name as you do so. You realise what it is. As you place your hand on it, you feel almost like static electricity shoot up your arm into the very pit of your stomach. This is a magic ward. You don't know exactly what it does, 
but you know that this is a ward protecting something of great value. The Chapel of Contemplation may have been burnt, but they never found... They never found the church's prized possession. It still is here, somewhere within. But oh. where? I was thinking of crazy heads and crazy churches. And by the way, Trixie and Chambers, you may roll Cthulhu Mythos if you like. You're unlikely to glean anything, but there's a small chance. I walk over to Buck and... Hi there, big boy. <laughs> Do you want to know what this is about? <laughs> I'm going to have to politely ask you to not touch me. <laughs> <laughs> So, yep, you just poke him on the nose, and then are you going to start searching through the ruins? Because you know something's <laughs> here now. <laughs> this is a warning spell. <laughs> they were keeping something here, and it still is. And then I'm going to go search for it. Yep. So, seeing angels. Yep, Trixie. About these dreams we were talking about. That it was a silver knife or a silver dagger, was it? Buck nods, confirming. Silver dagger in Mr. Marcano's dreams. So it sounds like you don't believe any of this crazy sort of stuff, but dreams often do have some sort of meaning, even if it's subconscious. Uh, Silver dagger. Oh, I expected as much. Silver daggers are often a, um, a sign of sort of things that need to be looked into and cut out from your life, or in a spiritual way, they represent death and sacrifice or protection and bravery. So you could be looking for a literal knife here or thing that we need to sacrifice or form some act of bravery. So could also might be based on the tarot card. Well, you, as, as Trixie says this, you see Angel running into the ruins and starting to feel around amongst the foundation and the old pieces of granite. Does anyone else want to join in? Uh, Buck's going to um, speak up and say, do you mind if we just leave her here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do have a job, so I might as well help her in some sense. Yep. So Trixie steps in, starts searching. Chambers, you have a feeling you know what, how this is going to end up. This is giving you feelings of deja vu. Digging around in old ruins, trying to find something buried under the earth. But do you want to help anyway? Yeah, all right. Fine. So, no boy, that's what we're here for. You join the other two. Thing. And Buck, with no option left, joins in. Yeah. Prowling. Um, quickly uh, yep. checks his pockets and uh, makes sure his gun is like slung over yep, his shoulder. Yep, slung over his shoulder, and, uh, ready to go. Sighs and follows the group. Prowling the chapel, you find mostly blocks of granite, old, half burned timbers, and ancient rubbish. It doesn't appear to be anything here. 
at least nothing you wouldn't expect to find in a place that was swept away in a fire. Then you feel the ground rumbling beneath your feet. You have just enough time to look down and become aware that the earth you stand on is covering weakened floorboards. I'd like everyone to make luck rolls. Don't forget, I fail. Fail. Uh, can I roll a um, dodge instead? Well, I, if the luck is going to be basically to see if you can get out of the way, oh, then you okay. can roll a dodge if you fail. Okay. Yeah. Is that um, from our luck total? Yep, so from just roll your luck as if it was a skill. No, that's a fail. It's a fail. Ooh. Chambers, anyway. I know you're down on luck. <laughs> I'm not, um, 66. Oh, you're still pretty good. I don't know why you were worried about getting 14 before. You're pretty good. I really got a 17 in luck. Yeah. So how many fails? I think we got... I think everyone failed except for Chambers, I believe. So Chambers, feeling the earth crumble beneath you, you leap backwards. The rest of you... There's a crash as the floor gives way. You must attempt a jump or a climb roll to leap to safety. Okay. Uh, that is a fail. Fail. Uh, that is a success, success for me. Success for, yep, and Trixie. is a fail on both accounts oh okay so chambers you call out to call out to your new partner turns looks over his shoulder hears your name and then leaps just as the floor beneath him collapses trixie and angel scream as they plummet down into the darkness down 10 feet into the cellar underneath the ruined church and take not wrong. I've done it in the wrong channel. I have to do it in here. Roll on D6. Or I can do it with a manual dice. You each take three points of damage as you land with a thump and a crack on a cobble on a dirty cobblestone floor. Feeling your ankle feeling your ankles sprain you quickly check to make sure you haven't broken any bones somehow miraculously you're fine the two of you climb to your feet and look around you're in some sort of underground cellar scorch marks and smoke damage cover the stone walls and the cobblestone floor there's a couple of pieces of old furniture scattered around, crumbling wooden bookshelves and cabinets. Eight by two, least favorite places combined, churches and cellars. Yeah. Oh, you two God. okay down there? It feels like home. Fine, okay. Can you guys find anything to pull us back up while we look at these things down here? Yeah, I'll take a look around. No, uh, no, uh, broken bones. That I know of, but I had a friend that didn't know for several months, so anything's possible. <laughs> We're alive. Well, uh, light on your feet, all right? 
Uh, you, Buck, you see anything around here we could do it, we could help him out with? Uh, Buck's just gonna, like, uh, look around as best he can and, um, kind of feel Start around. Start searching, yep. If we can find anything. Get her, yeah, get is there any kind of search? Search All right. So I'd like Buck and Chambers to make a spot hidden check, please. A spot hidden check? Um, yeah. Oh, that's 25. Okay. That's mine. Uh, that's 57 against 50. Um, uh, that's an extreme fail for me. Not extreme, but definitely fail. Oh, for fuck's sake, I got 91. Alternatively, you can roll luck to see if you have a rope in the car. Yeah, right. I got 100 again. I, I got 100 again. <laughs> I've got a measuring tape, but I don't think that's going to be strong enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, is it, is it worth me rolling luck, or is that has that terrible luck roll kind of uh, tainted at this moment? One hundred? No, it hasn't tainted it. You can still try it. If one of you passes, there'll be a rope it. in the car. Okay, okay, I will roll that then. So the rope is not first in the flames. Cool. Fantastic. Uh, that's a pass, actually. It's a pass. Hey. So, as as Chambers is looking around for some sort of rope or branch to find something to help scoop them up you realize you remember that chambers is a federal agent and he's he has a car that was issued by the government it should contain all the necessary supplies for an emergency so you rush over to the boot of the car and chambers you open your mouth to say something to protest as you see Buck just reaching for the handle and lifting up the boot of the car. But then you see what he's looking for and you smile, laugh at yourself, laugh at why you didn't think to check here first as he pulls out a coil of rope from the car boot. Oh, Jesus, not my day. Thank you. That's a, that's a great idea. Hey, no problem, friend. Rush over and Buck begins to set up the rope, ties one end to a piece of granite and throws the other end down into the cellar. You can now climb down into the cellar if you want. Uh, Buck's going to take a moment to um, kind of crouch on his heels and uh, appear down into the darkness and um, kind of as an aside say, so uh, is this pretty much how it went last time? <laughs> yep, more or less. That's fantastic. This is the start of last time. But will there be anything within this cellar? That's the question. <laughs> so, Angel and Trixie, you're in the cellar. There's all these old cabinets and bookshelves scattered around. You can climb back up, but Angel, you feel as if you're being guided to this point and... That tingling in your head is growing stronger. Probably where the cults, the ch no, the church's prized possessions were hidden. I follow my gut and walk. Yeah, go ahead, make an occult check for me. Uh, that is a six. A six, yeah, that's a, that's an extreme pass. Trixie watches as you s move towards the old bookshelves. The cabinet starts searching through them, brushing away cobwebs and hearing the wood creak, crack and almost collapse under your weight as you search everything. 
finally, under the in, inside the very last cabinet that you search, we find what you're looking for. The moment you pull the door open and it crumbles off its brass hinges, a feeling of static electricity in your body begins to surge and your eyes glisten when you see what is inside. There's a leather-bound tome, and next to it, rolled up into a neat scroll, a piece of paper with a red ribbon. I can Pull out the musty old journal, and Trixie, feeling her curiosity get the better of her, soon hangs over, watching over your shoulder, I'd like Trixie and Angel to both make own language checks, Lee, please. That is a 96. 96, lovely. That's my language learn is 80, so... Lovely. The musty old journal falls to pieces as you turn the pages, but the name Walter Corbett catches your eye. An entry records that Walter Corbett was buried in the basement of his house in accordance with his wishes and with the wishes of the one who lies beyond. Just before the journal crumbles away, one of the pages, one, a piece of parchment slides out from between the pages. You unfurl it, hold it out, straighten it so that Trixie can see. Hold it up so that Chambers and Buck, who are peering down into the hole, can see what you're looking at. It's an old drawing, the edges charred and burnt, covered in smoke damage. The ink, despite the paper's age, remains vibrant, deep black. The text along the bottom simply reads, The One Who Lies Beyond. It's a picture of a shapeless mass hanging in what appears to be a crevasse somewhere, somewhere dark beneath the earth. Cords of flesh binding it, attaching it to its surroundings. Its piercing yellow eyes seem to stare off the page and right at you. Trixie, Angel, and Chambers, you may each make Cthulhu Mythos checks. Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah, Fail. Fail. I doubt any of you will pass, but you can push it yeah. if you like. I'm alright. Yeah, might as well. Nope. Before fail again. Gaze back at the terrible thing on the page, and you can't look at it anymore. You screw the piece of parchment up and toss it aside. And then you unfurl the scroll, Angel. It appears to be a page torn out of an old book. 
it's covered in arcane diagrams, strange letters that you can barely comprehend. But the words here and there appear to be in a language that is known to human tongues. It's written in Latin. I see if I can decipher it with either history or other language. Yep, if your other language happens to be Latin, you can. Otherwise, you can try for a hard history success, which is hard. Uh, I, I don't know if an occultist did as Latin. I, I'm. I think you have Latin. I think you took Latin as your um, yeah, other language. Yeah. So if you want, you can try to read it. I want to try and read it. Ninety-three of hell. Yeah. Well, you can push it if you like. You know what? I'm gonna push it. Oh, did Trixie pass? Alright, Trixie, you can try to roll history, and if you get a hard pass, which is under half, you decipher this text. Got 25. And what's your history? Uh, other language. Ah, other language. Ah, okay. History? So you're going to decipher it with other language? Was that, sorry? You're going to decipher it with your other language knowledge? Uh, I would have passed with history as well, so... Yeah, alright. way to work. Alright, so just mark your other language down as Latin, which makes sense. You work in a museum. As you hear chambers and buck creep closer to the edge above, their footsteps crunching on the gravel, you read what's on the page. It says, Knowledge from the one beyond as printed in Walter Corbett's copy of The Gate and the Key. You remember Walter Corbett's will. He left some sort of book to the church, to the Chapel of Contemplation, but you look around and it's obviously not here anymore. This single page torn out of it is all that's left. It appears to be directions for some sort of ritual, some sort of magic spell. Here it is in Discord. It is the Summon Dimensional Shambler spell. Anyone who'd like to learn this can make an intelligence check. The ritual describes that it may be used to summon a servant of the one beyond to do the bidding of the caller. Yeah, I don't think Chambers is taking this seriously as of yet. Yeah. Well, I think we found the symbolism of the knife. If I saw a ritual, right. You gonna try to learn it, Lynx? I immediately look at it and I'm gonna try and fucking learn it. Yeah, go ahead, yeah. roll an intelligence check. In it's 50, sir. Is anything Gotta crazy? Be 46. Like... How'd you go, Lynx? 
I didn't do one. I was waiting for um, ah, Angel to roll. Yep, Angel. Angel's passed. So Angel's going to learn it. Are you going to learn it just in case? Or are you going to be fine with Angel knowing it? Yeah, I'll learn it. My morbid curiosity will get the better of me. Make an intelligence check. A pass. A pass. Good or bad. <laughs> Buck, you see them poring over this old scroll. When you ask them what it is, they tell you it's a magic spell. Clearly, this is just gibberish, nonsense. But surely, you're curious. What do you want to do, uh, Buck? I think at this point, um, Buck will be extremely skeptical, but we definitely want to see what's going on. And uh, probably saying something a bit snide at the same time. Go so, ahead. Um, Intelligence um, check. Yeah, okay, why not? That's a 50. Uh, that's an 18. 18. So the three of you... Uh, so that's a pass. Yeah. So the that's three a, of you learn pass. it, holding it out whispering, reciting the incantations under your breath, committing them to memory before Angel folds up the piece of paper and folds it away. You have learned to summon a dimensional shambler, to call forth a servant of the one who lies beyond. So how this works is it's a summoning spell. When you cast a summoning spell, you choose how many magic points you wish to spend. A single magic point gives a 10% chance for the spell to succeed. So, for the summon to be to, for the summon to have a 100% chance of working, you spend 10 magic points. And if more more than one of you are casting the spell, you can actually combine magic points. When you cast the spell, you lose 1d4 magic points, and it costs 5 minutes per magic point spent. If it succeeds, a single dimensional shambler will gradually assemble itself out of thin air. The spell requires a dagger made from any pure metal, such as copper or iron, to work. Alloys such as brass will not be suitable. If the dagger is enchanted, the chance for success also rises by 2% per point of power in the dagger. This car spell may be cast at day or night. One authority has written that shamblers are more easily confused in the bright sunlight. And then, as you feel a strange sense of foreboding begin to fall around you, you notice that the strange tingling in your forehead is gone you found whatever it is you were meant to find. Angel and Trixie, you hoist yourself up the rope, rejoining Chambers and Buck on the edge of the collapsed cellar. There was no monster within it this time, but perhaps there was something even worse. That concludes this episode. Next episode, having completed all of your research and with this spell in hand, with everything you've learned this day, you will finally head to the Corbett House to confront the haunting within, to find what is presumably the restless spirit of Walter Corbett. 
a high-ranked member of the Chapel of Contemplation and put him finally to rest. You each gain one point of Cthulhu Mythos. All is good, all is good. And? Gradually dwindling. Gradually dwindling. And before we sign off, I must put a question to you. As you stand here on the edge of this collapsed cellar, it is pitch dark. The buildings around you are nothing but pitch black, featureless monoliths standing around you in the night. You could, next session, proceed directly to Corbett's mansion, or you may return to your homes, rest up for the night, process what you've learned, and return to face Corbett's house in the safety of the sunlight. I feel like we should just continue rolling on. Let's go straight uh, there. You're, you're really busting the balls now. <laughs> well, Angel, <laughs> you know a cold 101 away. that you should go in the daylight. How about we all roll a d20 highest person gets to decide? <laughs> well, well, we have... What does everyone think of over? We'll just, we'll just go, we'll take a vote. What, what do you think, um, Trixie? Oh, I want to go when it's close to 3am, so I'm going to say wait for the daytime, but... Yeah. All right. Oh, so you want to go when it's close to 3am. You'd be wanting to go now while oh, it's no, night. I don't want to. Oh, oh you don't true. want to. Um, unless you don't want to, unless so you know, we're... unless you suspect that ghosts <laughs> are going to be more powerful at 3am. What, at the witching hour? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to want the morning the more, most. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Oh, that's where they call it the witching hour. No, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so we have two votes for <laughs> night, two votes... Two votes... fucking sleep. Two votes for oh, night, two votes for, for morning. Second. I will ask the people who want to go in the morning to nominate one person, so that will be either Angel or Chambers, to be their speaker. And then either Buck or Trixie nominate one of you to be the speaker. Oh, okay. And then we're going to just roll off and see what happens. So, Angel, what's... I feel like I've probably used up all my, um, all my luck tonight, so I'm going to nominate myself to not. Not? All right. So, Trixie. Trixie versus yeah, Angel, I'm... shall we say? Please. <laughs> all right. Go ahead. I'd like... Both of you to please roll a d100. Whoever gets the lowest score succeeds. Sixty-two. Wait, hang on. Sixty-nine. Would you believe? Ninety-nine. I rolled for the fuck of it, and would you believe I got a one? You got a one. Oh. <laughs> All right. Ninety-nine. It was ninety-two. Ninety-two. Unfortunately, Oops. we didn't pick chambers. <laughs> so. <laughs> You decide if you're going to confront this ghost, you have to confront it when it's there. You're armed and you're ready. The longer you wait, the longer the haunting goes unchecked. So next session, in the dead of night, 
having just climbed out of the cellar, the hole in the earth that was once the Chapel of Contemplation, you're going to head to the Corbett House to confront, under the moonlight and the light of the stars, what awaits there. Yeah, probably best I don't have nightmares of the church and the cellar, so it might be the best idea. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so... I'm confused, I'm like... Didn't I win? I rolled a 39. Oh, hey, no, you were, I thought you said 99. No, I said oh, 49. Oh, no, no, you won. Okay, so, yeah. Strike that, reverse it. Angel insists. Angel insists her church, her church communes with spirits, and she knows if you're going to fight one, never do it on the spirit's terms. And so you disperse, realizing that for once, for all the eccentricities she has, Angel is right. You take one last look over your shoulder at the symbol emblazoned on the stone, at the hole in the floor. And then as you reach the car, you feel the exhaustion take over. You get some rest, you'll sleep up. You'll face what awaits in the land of dreams. And then you'll take the fight to Walter Corbett. Everyone who's hurt, who I believe is Trixie and uh, Angel, you recover one hit point overnight. So you should be down two. Do we get to play you, main Nikki, in the next next session? Yes, we do get to play you, main (laughs) Nikki, and a bit of phasmophobia too. But yeah, that concludes the session. Part one of the haunting of Corbett House. Fortnight from now, the ghost hunt begins, and we bring the haunting to its conclusion. That was the haunting of Corbett House, part one, episode two of Call of Cthulhu: Edge of Madness. A Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fia with me, Dale, as Keeper of Arcane Law, Ash Gray as Agent Robert Chambers, NCS as Howie Gordon, Toxie as Angel, and Lynx as Trixie. Background music in this podcast was created by Kevin McLeod and is used with permission.